Welcome to Sisflix, the podcast where we won't judge you for talking through the movie. Sisflix are the movies you laugh at, yearn for, and overanalyze with your girls, significant others, and now us. We are your hosts, Paola and Naja, two sisters and designers who discuss chick flicks we hate to love, tropes we love to hate, and all of the aesthetic choices in between. Join us as we break down our favorite movies together. Welcome back to part two of our take on You've Got Mail, the 1998 movie directed by Nora Ephron. We are picking up back at Birdie's apartment after Kathleen has decided to close the shop around the corner. It's the brave thing to do is what Bertie says. And that ties back to something Kathleen says earlier in the movie. You know, she asks this question to um, the great wide void. What I'm doing, do I do it because I like it or do I do it because I haven't been brave? Well, the thing that Bertie says is like, it's brave to imagine a different life for yourself. I love that line. There is something very empowering And not just as a woman, I assume men occasionally feel this way, but there's something very empowering about making choices, them not going well, that's not the empowering part, and then understanding that you're allowed to make different choices. And that sounds very basic. Like what I just said sounds like, Nadja, you just described how like time works. But I mean, I've had that thought so many times, even in my career of like, I don't want to do this anymore, or like, I want to change things about my life and I kind of feel like you pigeonhole yourself like you feel like you're trapped and this acknowledgement from a woman much older than Kathleen Birdie who's lived many lives you can assume especially after watching this scene her coming out and saying like it is brave to do something different it's brave to change the path that you're on one of the things that I really like about this scene where Kathleen is at Birdie's house with her other co-worker is that you have this kind of mother figure in Birdie, right? A woman who was also aware of Kathleen's mother, like also knew her and worked with her and has probably known Kathleen since she was a child. So she feels emotionally invested. She feels connected to this woman and to the fate of her business, not only because she works there, but also because she cares about her. Even in spite of all of that, maybe in spite of like her own vested interest in the business succeeding, she is the one who lets Kathleen know kind of like in lieu of her mother actually being there. She's the one that lets her know like, hey, it's okay. Just because it like tastes a little bit like failure doesn't mean it has to be a failure. You can allow this to be a different chapter of your life. You can allow yourself to do other things and be a different version of yourself that you didn't imagine before even though that was scary, right? Like even though leaving this life that's like no longer in the shadow of like your mother's life, even though that's really scary, you're allowed to do it and you're capable. You know, she doesn't necessarily say this part, but it's kind of like you're young, you're a professional, you have a lot of skills, you can do anything. Right. I think that as women, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be successful at whatever specific thing we embark on, right? Especially when it has to do with business and you're kind of competing against a male counterpart. You you feel like you have something to prove. 
you always have something to prove all the time, whether it's as a business owner, as an individual in life, as a mother, as a wife. Like, do you have all these different boxes that you feel you have to check all of the time? Oh, yeah. There's a joke that I make to my friends all the time, which is I wish I could fail up like a white man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because white men or you know what? I'm going to broaden that to say men, even though I know that that race like plays significantly into how people experience failure and success, especially in business. But oh, don't get me started on the immigrant experience of having to succeed after your parents sacrificed their whole entire life to set you up oh and, th- and never let you forget oh it. man god forbid god that's forbid like a whole other layer misstep. you know and i see that like for kathleen here obviously like she has the pressure of she wants to continue her mother's legacy like that's very important to her like she says it in the beginning of the movie like i my mom passed this down to me i'm gonna pass it down to my daughter can I tell you what I was thinking during the most recent rewatch? So we have this really beautiful scene where Birdie's telling Kathleen, it's okay. We're all going to be fine. Everyone's going to get other jobs. And like, we're going to close the store down. You'll have a cushion because you're going to sell it or whatever. And then you're going to have time to figure out what you want to do. That's wonderful. Beautiful. Wow. Chef's kiss. Great. I kept thinking, what the fuck is going to happen to these employees of this fucking store who have never worked anywhere else? What happens to them? And then, you know, you find out, yeah, they're fine. They're white people in New York in the 90s. Like, they're fine. But the one girl complains about having to move to Brooklyn. Yes. The, well, now she would have now. Been yeah. <laughs> um, now she wouldn't have left Brooklyn. She'd be working at a bookstore there in addition to three other jobs because yeah. in no country can a job at a bookstore sustain you. And the like, guy expresses that he's got roommates and where he's at is heavily rent controlled. I'm just going to make a dumb joke that I saw on TikTok. It's like a spoof on a broker showing you an apartment in New York. And it goes, oh, this apartment is rent controlled. In that the landlord controls the rent and he can raise it anytime he wants. <laughs> and like, is, if that's not the fucking truth, man, if you're thinking like 1998, who's the mayor of New York at that time? Was it already Ru- Rudy Giuliani? Uh, yes. She talks about not having gone to vote. She was supposed to vote for Ruth Messenger. Oh, my God. And Frank was really mad or he would have been really mad. At it's her actually the scene right after this where she leaves Bertie's house and she goes to have dinner with Frank dinner in a movie he's pissed at something i think it's because like you find out that birdie had like some type of affair with spain's dictator or something yes in like the 30s <laughs> and he's pissed right he's like she's a nut job and she's defending birdie you know she was in love it was just a love affair and then he's like you know i can't be with anybody who can't take politics seriously uh hello <laughs> spoiler alert i am frank <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Kathleen, where she's like, um, well, the fact that you're supposed to think Frank is a fucking nut and then he says something that I find completely rational, I'm like, oh no, they would have hated me in the 90s. <laughs> no, I think that this movie rallies with the Franks, like we were saying before. I think this movie doesn't want you to pick a side. I think it's making fun of both sides, right? Like, there's it's extremes. It's making fun of everyone. So it's making fun of the extremes. It's very much celebrating the centrists, right? Kind of. I Right? Like, you're supposed to feel weirded out about Joe's dad, who's in one extreme, and... And has, like, a 30-year-old wife. And, you know, you're supposed to be a little weirded out by Frank, who's on the other extreme. 
Right. But yeah, and, and she's like, you know, I was supposed to go vote and I forgot because I was getting a manicure. And then she says a comment like you wouldn't even want to be with the type of woman who gets manicures. They're making many comments with just relation to like status and how people wear their beliefs and how people manifest these types of beliefs, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting commentary for that time. I, th- I think it's very valid. After they're at this movie theater and they're having this argument, the movie hasn't even started. First of all, girls, guys, gays, and theys, when we go to the fucking movies, the shit is so expensive. It is an investment, baby. You think I'm leaving before the movie starts? It was get still like $7 back then. First of all, it was less than that. It was like seven nickels rubbed together. <laughs> they get up from this movie because they're having this argument. The trailers have just ended. The movie's like about to start. And they get up. Now they're arguing. And they're like, well, we need to leave the movies. They leave the movies. Listen, clearly my mindset is different because I am pressed that they left this fucking movie. Okay. Buying the tickets, just leaving anyway, real quick. It was $4 and 69 cents to buy a movie ticket in 1998. You want me to fight. Now you want me to fucking fight. Paula. I went to the movies two days ago. Ask me how much it was. Yo, we went to go see Barbie and it was a bill. God. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it fucking was. And there were like kids there. That was such bullshit. I paid $15 per ticket. Mm -hmm. You think I'm going to stand up and leave? No, baby. That's a stock. We're going to sit here. We're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be mad the whole time. (laughs) And we're going to break up later. I bought this ticket. So they leave the movies and they walk together and they end up at a restaurant, I guess, where they would have gotten dinner anyway. And they have this really like psychologically healthy, like amicable breakup. This is my breakup goal. (laughs) Since I can't remember. My breakup goal is Lon Hammond from The Notebook. Frank and Kathleen literally were just like, I don't love you. And this isn't working for me anymore. And the other person was like, oh, my God. Me neither. Okay, great. I've been feeling like this the whole time. That was the healthiest breakup of all time. It is. And it's very sweet because both of them are like, well, is there anybody else? And Kathleen's like, no, not really. And Frank is like, yeah, no, not really. Yeah, no. Kathleen called it with the news anchor lady that he was flirting with on TV. When she asks him, is there anybody else? She knew right away. She's like, the lady from TV. Because women, women in our gut feelings. He's wiggly about it. That's what I give him. I respect both of them in this moment because, hey, man, you just got to do what's best for you. Shit. So after they have one of the most amicable breakups captured on film, Kathleen goes on to have a closeout sale for her store. She's getting rid of everything, everything that's not nailed down. And that's how you do a closeout sale, by the way. None none of this Bed Bath & Beyond shit. Shit was not 10% off. We are selling. We are getting empty. Get the store clean. So, you know, they have a couple of like emotional interactions where a woman comes up to buy some books. The store is packed. People are hitting everyone like it's Black Friday. And she tells Kathleen, you know, I used to come here when I was a little girl and your mother used to sell me books. And it was, you know, such a special time. These are some of my best memories. They both start crying. It's like very, very sweet. You really get the sense of what definitely of what Kathleen feels like she's losing you know she has this big sale and she has to walk past Fox Books as she's leaving her store she decides to walk in and she 
walks throughout the entire store and you have this bittersweet moment where I think she's realizing all of the things about her own store that could never compete with Fox Books. It is busy. It's busy, busy. It's busy, busy. In this moment, you're you're like annoyed and heartbroken. You're you're mad when you're watching this go down. And she goes and she sits in the children's section, which is so sad. And she just sits there. She's looking around. And she overhears this lady ask an employee about a specific author in these books. The employee has no idea. Um, so she cuts in and she's like, you know, these are the shoe books, you know, by this author. She tells them about it. She starts getting emotional. This is this lady's life's work that she's letting go of. She's watching it being sold by an amateur. Chris Messina. Hungry. Chris Messina. He is is in that movie for 0.5 seconds. And my man has never been hungry in his life. No. Eating ramen. Chris Messina. (laughs) He, he works at that Barnes and Noble. Damn. No, I'm kidding. Can you fucking imagine? And so she literally has to spell it out for the guy. And from across the store, you see that Joe is watching this whole scene take place. You can tell he's upset for her. He's upset for her. He's annoyed that his employee couldn't give the information. He feels bad. The next scene after this is him getting home or arriving at his apartment with his girlfriend, Patricia. Patricia Eden, Eden Books. You having known what he just saw, you know he's emotionally involved in some way. But he also knows that Kathleen is his secret pen pal. So he knows he's hurting the person he loves. Exactly. He knows he's also hurting the person that he loves. Like, what control truly did he have over Fox Books opening in this area of the Upper West Side? I know. I know. It's his family's I, company. I rolled my eyes. That's what I, I was saying. I know, I know. It's not personal. It's business. But he's starting to feel the personal. He's yeah. starting to he's starting to get a tinge of that. And he's arriving home with his girlfriend. And she's like going on about Kathleen losing the store. It's all she's talking about. She's talking about how everyone's talking about it. And and. She just keeps throwing it in his face, essentially, like, oh, you did this. She wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for you. Ha ha ha. Isn't that funny? And she's heartless about it. Heartless. Completely ruthlessly reminds him that he put Kathleen out of business. And she even laughs. I think the line she says, she laughs and she's like, it's so insensitive. It's so obtuse. And it's like, you know, ha ha ha. Just who does it remind me of? Aha, it reminds me of me. You want to fucking punch her in the face. It goes through a scene like they get stuck in the elevator with like a couple other people. And while they're stuck in the elevator, these people that they're with, they're kind of sharing like what what would they do if they're able to get out of that elevator? And they start sharing things that they would change about their life. People get very dramatic when they're <laughs> right <laughs> when they're in enclosed spaces. <laughs> right. Like there's this sense of you. You see like they have like this sense of doom about them anyway. But God. I think that. In this interaction that he has with her is that he realizes this is the side of him that he's been struggling with throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think he's realized in this moment, like he has control over choosing which side to be. Does he want to be this ruthless person that just laughed at somebody going out of business? Or does he want to be the person that he's 
that he is when he's writing to Kathleen, essentially. Right. Like Kathleen is someone that he has grown to admire, right? Because she has this kind of like purity to her and this ethos of being a good person. Mm -hmm. Clearly in business, those things are null. You're not meant to consider being a good person or consider like too many ethics or any of your morals, right? Like you're just supposed to do things that are best for the business. And that's kind of how he's been operating. And I think now we're ascribing like a lot of depth to his character. This is not to shit talk the movie because this is a rom-com, but I don't think Joe Fox is given a terrible amount of depth throughout the entire movie. I think Tom Tom Hanks Hanks is acting provides some additional depth just in the way, you know, the way he moves his face, his intonation, how he like looks at things like he, he brings that. I don't think that's on the page. Again, I think that's why they casted Tom Hanks. He's the only person that can be this guy and you like him and you want him. You root and you're for rooting him? for him. You're like, no, 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 but he's good. He's a nice guy. He does a very good job of making it deeper and of giving the viewer the chance to almost like understand that he's conflicted mm-hmm. because I don't think the conflict is written. I think the conflict is just implied. He does that really he well. Does. He does. So he breaks up with her. Like the next scene. Because she sucks ass. The next scene is him walking with his dog in a box and he's walking into his boat. He moves out of his apartment, moves into his boat. I'm almost disappointed that we didn't get to see that breakup. Because I'm 100% sure it was completely <laughs> It was batshit unhinged. crazy. <laughs> unhinged. Just by the way she asked for coffee at the beginning of the morning of the movie, that that breakup was unhinged. Also, I'm almost positive she forgot the coffee. (laughs) Yes, she did. Like after that whole scene, I'm pretty sure she didn't take it with her. And that grinds my fucking gears. Um, After this, we see Kathleen back at her apartment and she's home and she's serving herself a bowl of cereal. If I remember correctly, big LOLs, relatable queen. She's uh, narrating an email. Um, yes. Okay. And through this email, she confirms, you know, my store closed this week. Um, and she's like, it, it was a beautiful store. And she kind of just starts, you know, reminiscing about what the store meant to her. There's this, this quote that she says that always sticks with me where she says, you know, people are always telling you that change is a good thing, but what they're really saying is that something you didn't want to happen at all has happened. While she's narrating this, she's grabbing her bowl of cereal. She goes and she sits in, on the floor, like passes by her bed, passes by a chair and just goes up against the wall and sits on the floor. She has rearranged her apartment, her bedroom. Like, you know, somebody's rearranged their furniture too many times. Shit is changing. For when them. you see a bed catty cornered. Like, by the time you put a bed catty corner, you put it on every wall that's available. And then just decided, you know what? <laughs> Fuck a wall. I'm going to just put that, it that, in this corner. That production designer was like, someone fucking help me. Jesus Christ. No, and I think, obviously, that's that's meant to imply, like, she's home. She's restless. She's moving her shit around. She's trying. You you know, it's when kind of like you need a change. You need to you're trying to like restart yourself. And so you start moving around your furniture. I know that's what I do. And I know it's not just because I'm an interior designer. It's I think it's 
at least for I, the women in my life, I know we all have kind of like we associate resetting with rearranging our furniture. Absolutely. Um, and I think that I had you in my apartment three weeks ago asking you how I could <laughs> exactly. rearrange my room. Um, and I think this scene kind of is meant to give you that like furniture's rearranged and yet here she is with her bowl of cereal and she goes and she just sits on the floor. Like it's, you feel you almost hopeless for her. Um, and, and directly after this, you see that she's walking through her empty store and still, she's still narrating the same email at the beginning, her store, you see it. It's so cute. It's full of all the, all these children's books and illustrations and, you know, it's adorable. It's hopeful. It, and now it's just wood and empty shelves. Um, and she writes that she feels like she lost something. She feels like she lost something, a part of her, and she feels like she, she lost her mother all over again. And I think it's very sad because again, it's kind of like she wanted so much to continue her mother's legacy it's not just like, oh, I tried this thing and, and I didn't make and it didn't work out. No, she this is part of her past, present and future. And in every aspect of that, she feel like she let her mom, herself as a child, herself in the present and her future daughter. She let all these women down. This is morbid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like something that I think when I watch this movie and and then kind of think on like common experiences I've had in my own life I'm like well at least her mom wasn't alive to see it like that is and it it is dark had her mom been there and seen her go through this experience it wouldn't have been so deep I think her mom would have been exactly what Birdie did for her I think hey hey babe this it didn't work out this is a thing you you know it things happened in our life that that for whatever reason, this wasn't meant to work out. And it's worse because she wasn't there to tell her that. But I think had she been, um, it wouldn't have been so, ha- she wouldn't have felt so much pressure. Uh, I think that's a really good take on that. Yeah. And, you know, like as she's closing the door to her store, the last thing she envisions is her and her mom twirling when she was a little girl. And this was hard. This is a, this is a little bit of a, a tearjerker part. I got something got stuck in my eye at this time, like some little dust. The fact that you're not as much of a crier as me is like really disrespectful. I describe myself to my husband as a simmering <laughs> pot on the stove. You know what I mean? Any emotion. I am going to boil over out of this fucking pot. Meanwhile, Paola's like, I don't want to be sad. So I don't think about the sad thing. You don't want to open this can of worms. You don't. Dude, listen, the way the way it is for me, the can of worms, there are no worms (laughs) left. The can's been open for years. Okay. So the fact that you can watch this scene and be like, it's kind of a tearjerker. Shut your fucking mouth. I'm going to cry. And sobbing. She closes her email with, so we'll just be a memory. In fact, some foolish person will probably think it's a tribute to the city, the way it keeps changing on you. And I think this goes back to something you said earlier, where it's kind of like, this is New York. That's what happens. Earlier in the movie, she definitely has like this 
this positivity about her, right? Like everything happens for a reason and change is good. And, you know, now that it's happening to her, it's definitely, you know, she's, she's just heartbroken. She, she's not going to see the positivity of it right now. She's not going to, to see, look, you know, see the brighter side. No, she's, she's just sad. She's heartbroken, which she's allowed to be. She doesn't need to see the positive side of it right now. I think that people are pushed to have to, Oh, are you as a Latin American woman talking about how you're forced to about feel everything, about things everything all the, all the time? Like, oh, si Dios quiere. Like, nah, bitch, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> Something I find interesting is she closes and you pretty much, you almost get an identical shot of her closing through the window of her door that you do in the beginning of the movie when she's opening the store. And I kind of love when art does that brings you full circle. Yeah. I love that too. So next is springtime. Do you, so, okay now, so this is when Joe goes and visits her at the apartment and is like very obnoxious. Do you want to tell this, this segment is- or do you want me to do it in a nicer way? <laughs> Cause you're going to be mad. I'm going <laughs> to wrong. Yes, I'm already mad. This is fucking ridiculous. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Actually, no. This is when they're talking with his dad. But yeah, I mean, these are all mad points. You can. So it's springtime. You get the sensation that time has passed. Joe is living in his boat. It's a very nice fucking boat. His father comes to visit because he is now divorced, as we previously mentioned. He reminisces on all of his past relationships. He has been married too many times, one might say. Okay. And. They're so disconnected from genuine emotion and from things that aren't meant for convenience that he's just, he's, it's almost like he doesn't even care that he's divorced or getting divorced again. And Joe, between he and Joe, it's kind of like a bit, like they're making a joke out of it. It's funny, but you kind of see gears turning inside Joe's head where he's like, that's not really how I want my life to go. Like, this is not really the type of person I want to be. <laughs> this is actually a really good quote that Paola included in the outline. Joe tells his father that he just has to meet the person that fills his heart with joy. Mind you, Joe is like a 30-ish, early 30s, wild. People look so old back then. Like an early to mid-30s guy telling his probably like 70-year-old father that he has to find the woman who brings his heart joy. And his father answers in the same way that I would. Except I would take gender out of it. He said, have you ever met any woman that fit that description? And it leaves Joe thinking. Yes, I have. And it is shop girl. Next, Joe decides to visit Kathleen in her apartment with the excuse that George, George, who previously worked at Kathleen's store and now works at Fox Books, he mentioned offhandedly that Kathleen was sick. First of all, let's talk about this a little bit, production designer. I know you're not a production designer. This brownstone? Impeccable. Okay. So the building is gorgeous. And Joe Fox goes up, presses the intercom and the buzzer. This is not that different. We still do this to this day, everybody. And she's like comically sick. It's not an Oscar worthy performance. I'm not going to lie to you, but she's comically ill. So she like sneezes into the intercom. It's gross. He's like, hey, I just wanted to come up and see how you're doing because I heard you were sick. She's like, don't, don't do that. And he's like, cool, some guy just left your building. I'm going to come upstairs anyway. 
he does, which I hate with my bones. I hate that he does that. He comes into her apartment. No, that's fine. It's the part where she opens the door and he lets himself in. That's no, Paula. The whole thing is like the top to bottom. Like you wanted to deliver flowers. All right. He delivered the flowers. He ch- oh, are you, I'm sorry, you're sick. All right, bye. Nah, my man just steps nah. into the apartment. Like, oh, are you watching TV? Um, are there people here? Like, if you don't get out of my apartment right now. Also, this would never happen post COVID. No, no, you're sick. Stay fucking ten feet away from me at all times. He has brought her a bouquet of flowers. He's brought her a bouquet of daisies. She is grateful because as we learn, as we pan through the apartment, daisies are fucking everywhere. They're her favorite flower and she loves them. She asks, don't you think daisies are the friendliest flower? Which is very it's cute. cute for her. And I think it says a lot say. about her, which obviously we've it at does. this point, we've already learned she's, you know, friendly is her middle name. She nice. She right. Right. Like she cares about being friendly. She cares about her flowers being friendly, (laughs) which is so funny. After she's made this entire like journey from being friendly, hating Joe Fox, maybe being ambivalent about Joe Fox, kind of having a lot of resignation because she had to close her store. Now this guy's at her fucking house. You kidding? She keeps asking him to leave. And why does this man walk around this apartment like he's been there before? I hate it. She gets annoyed and, and she starts kind of doing something that she references earlier in the movie where she says like the insult she's thinking in the moment that she's thinking it because she's so annoyed with Joe Fox. And immediately after she says it, she apologizes. She's like, God, I don't want to say things like that. Like, I'm so sorry. You just make me so angry. <laughs> I think it's about his ex, right? It's like, ah, oh, you guys were perfect for each other. Oh, yes, it is. It is about her, his ex. You were absolutely right. As annoyed as I am at him just barging into apartment, essentially, it's insane behavior. But let me tell you, he puts the flowers in a vase. He offers to make tea. He makes the tea himself. Stop. Doesn't even ask where anything is. Really, just finds it. Like you're. St- I don't like where you're standing. Listen, as a wife who literally has to <laughs> remind her husband where like the ketchup is all the time, and like where do the cups go, like this. <laughs> It's just like, wow, he's just, he made the tea himself and brings it on. So I'm like, oh, see, he gets from me. I know that's very low standard. I'm like speechlessly (laughs) shaking my head. I'm so upset right now. He gets some points from me. Ryan is on his way home to make me dinner. I love that for you. So they both kind of casually mention that it comes up you know, more or less organically, but we learn as the viewer that they both mention to each other that they have recently gotten out of relationships. Because if you guys remember earlier in the movie, they go to this like literary party and Kathleen is there with Frank. Since she has obviously broken up with Frank, Joe Fox is there with Patricia Eden since he has broken up with her. So they mention that to each other. He mentions uh, seeing her at the coffee shop she apologizes for being horrible to him because she was, you know, in a state the day that he saw her at the coffee shop. She was expecting someone else. She was really frustrated. She got stood up and he chooses this moment to flirt, question mark. She asks him, so when did you break up with your girlfriend? And she's like, you know, everyone's breaking up. Like I just broke up. You broke up. Somebody I'm talking to online just broke up. LOL. It's the same guy. And it's the same fucking guy, you know. Like, they broke up in an elevator or outside of it? Right. After it? Like, something And then like that. she's the one that brings in, you know, he's the one that was waiting for at the coffee shop that night. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, you were charming. That's when she's like, no, I wasn't. I was an asshole. <laughs> I, was I was horrible. horrible. I was the worst. And, and then he's like, no, I was the one who was horrible. And her answer to that is like, yeah, but I'm better than that. And then he's like, oh, so you're saying like, I'm a horrible person. So it's okay that I'm horrible. And, you know, it's just one of those instances where she just comes back at him. You know, it's it's one of those back and forth they have where she just can't help herself to tell him that he pretty much is like, you know, I deserve it. He's like, you're entitled to hate me because I put you out of business. Mind you, he hasn't apologized for putting her out of business. You know, like it keeps coming up and he keeps kind of admittedly saying like it was horrible, but like there's no formal apology. And I don't know how I feel about that because how responsible is he for putting her out of business? How much in control? Don't. I don't love this capitalist argument you're making. Seriously. What was he going to do? I understand your perspective because I, right, I work in corporate. So I know that you have teams that do procurement for real estate. You have other teams that look at like your data and logistics and sales potential of being in a certain neighborhood. Like there are jobs for everyone who's doing that kind of shit. And it's not the fucking CEO of the company looking up vacant places and being like, I can't wait to fuck exactly. over this bookstore. No, they don't. He's do also that. not the CEO of Fox Books. It's his father. I, it's still. either the father or the grandfather, but he's just managing the store. Is he's just in charge of the opening of this specific store? You know what? They never really clarify his duties in the company. He could just be in charge of the opening. They might be opening another store in somewhere else, and then he's got to go there and make sure that store opens up. Like they're never very clear about his position in the company. But you definitely understand. Right. Like it's not just him. I don't know that he's 100% calling the shots for Fox Books. If it's a corporate, if it's like a corporate company. Do I understand the argument? Yes. That doesn't mean I have to like it. Yes, I see what you're saying. I'm not saying that I disagree. I'm not saying that it is 100% Joe Fox's <laughs> fault. I'm just saying. You know, look, I, I'm not a fan he either. Take, to make the argument. He could make, He 100%. More. He could He can definitely more. be like, look. I don't have control over or or maybe you do have control. If you do whatever it is, definitely acknowledge the fucked up situation. Don't just glaze by it, which is yes. what he consistently does. That's what Capitalism, he consistently baby. does. It's like, oh, you know. Again, he's like, Yeah, you're entitled to hate me and blah blah blah. Still haven't heard an apology, whatever. But he takes this opportunity to compare himself, and I I would love your opinion on this. To compare Let's him go. and Kathleen to Elizabeth and Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Because they do mention Pride and Prejudice a lot. In, this, in this movie. Obviously, he would be Darcy and she would be... Who's too proud? Who's too um, prejudiced? I think she begins by being prejudiced. And obviously, he's proud. Yeah. I think one of the most endearing things about Mr. Darcy as a character and one of the reasons that he's such a hero of like romance, of contemporary romance, right, as we perceive it, is that he listens to criticism, takes it, works with it, fixes the stuff, and then comes back and goes, hey, remember those things you said that were fucked up about me? I did like a lot of work to try and fix them. We could be together if you want, but also if you don't want, that's fine. Like, and that is why women love him. Women love him as a character. The thing with Joe Fox in this movie is that they're kind of trying to make you believe that he did yes. the same thing. 
he's identifying his mistakes, which is... I don't see the redemption. Yeah, like, there are no real mistakes. It's literally, the mistakes are Mm. his behavior. He's trying to redeem himself for behaving poorly. Not for the actions, but just that he conducted himself in a shitty way. Isn't that what Darcy does, though? Because when Darcy comes and proposes to Elizabeth... Oh, he's a massive dick about So what is Darcy saying, really? He's saying that regardless of his high rank and her low rank, that in spite of that, he's fallen in love with her and wants her to marry him. And essentially, isn't this the same thing we're talking about? Like, how much control does Darcy have over his rank in society? How much control does Joe Fox have over his father's company that he's now helping to move forward, right? So whatever, he goes through this whole thing and then he hits her with his favorite fucking line, it wasn't personal. She's like, I'm so sick of, and we're so sick of it. Us watching the movie, we're sick of him with the, it's not personal shit. And one of the things she says that I love is all that that means is that it's not personal to you, you know? And she specifies it was personal to me. It was personal to a lot of people. But what I love that she says is what's so wrong with something being personal? Cause whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. And I love that. It's like. What are you doing? If you're not doing it for personal reasons, what the fuck are you doing it for? After this little exchange, there's a bit of a pause. And she finally asks him, like, why did he stop by? And he really simply, in a way, and I'm telling you, it's it's Tom Hanks. Because in a way that only Tom Hanks could make you like, oh, he's like, I, I just wanted to be your friend. He wants to squash all the shit that's happened. And he wants to start fresh. She's not feeling well. She goes to try to like at this point, you're like, why is he still here? She goes and tries to lay down in her bed. She's like, ah, my head feels fuzzy. I need to go lay down. And he follows her. Mm -hmm. Which is (laughs) full bananas. And he decides he wants to ask her about the guy from the cafe. Like, you know, weren't you supposed to meet the guy? Like what, whatever happened to that? Why are you guys dating? And this is the part where she admits to him, like, oh, well, I really don't know him. I met him online. Join the club, and here's sister. where he starts to inch closer to her, like, metaphorically. Oh, and you met like, him oh, online. Oh, you got mail. And she's like, yes. He's like, yes. Like, powerful words. So. Take a shot. They mentioned the name of the movie. The movie. In the movie. It's almost like he challenges her where he's like, well, meet him. Like, why haven't you met this guy? She's like, look, I don't need advice from you. Like she starts to, again, do the back and forth. She's getting pissed. She starts to cut him off. And he literally is like, hey, whatever you're about to say, don't say it because you're going to regret what you're saying again. But you need to. Yo, he he literally puts his hands to her lips. Oh, I'm so upset. I'm so fucking upset. I think maybe we're supposed to enjoy the manly like the overpowering male display here get the fuck to me it comes off cringy she's uncomfortable she's asked you to leave she's telling you she's not feeling well she's gonna go lay down like i get you're trying you're trying to shoot your shot you you've done it like you don't need to come you don't need to touch her don't touch her face she's tired it feels very different almost 30 years later you know what maybe if i was 28 years old watching this in 1998 I would have been like oh 
He t- he touched so her romantic. lips. Me, whatever, every time since since I can remember watching this film, I see this and it's like, why are you touching her? She doesn't you. She doesn't want you to touch her. She doesn't like you. I mean, I think here you definitely see like she's okay with accepting him as a friend. She's okay with entertaining this this friend idea. To go from that to like literally sitting next to her on the bed and putting your hand to her mouth like no i'm sorry i didn't like it it made me uncomfortable i i didn't like I hated it, it. No. I hated um, it, so much. it it definitely came off more cringe maybe again maybe this is a part that just didn't age well and she's like fine though so going going by her body language like he crossed the line and she's almost like with it Obviously, that's what they're trying to portray. I just don't think, again, that it aged well. I think now this this millennial generation looking at that is like, oh, don't fucking touch me. And he literally tucks her in. <laughs> I hate it, Paola. I know where we're supposed to be going no, with this. No, yes. I get it. I love a rom-com. I fucking yes, I do. 100%. Hate this. I know that maybe there was a time when somebody found this endearing, but not today. Oh, it's so <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking of me being in like a diminished capacity of being sick and just having someone fucking stomping around my goddamn apartment just like, "Where's the vase? Oh yeah, I'll make you some tea." Like, I just want to be by Get myself. Out! Please. She thanks him for the daisies and he leaves. Next thing we see is Kathleen at Starbucks. (laughs) Kathleen at the coffee shop reading a book and he happens to drop in on her. So they bump into each other, quote unquote, again. This time, though, he invites himself to sit with her and he's welcome to come sit with her. A big contrast to a couple minutes before in the movie. Yeah, when she was sick in the privacy of her own home. No, no, no. A big contrast home. to when the last time he met her at a coffee shop, she was like, oh, please leave. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got um, it. So you kind of do see true, the true, evolution true. of their relationship here. She welcomes him to sit with her and have a coffee. And next thing you know, they're chatting it up about NY152. And he's kind of like, you know, is he married? So he starts to kind of create doubt in this person that she's been communicating with online. I don't understand this. I've never understood this. I have never understood this part of the movie. What I think Joe's doing here is two things. Is one, trying to sow doubt to bring down the allure of NY152, right? To bring down this mystique, right? This He's up on this platter. Like NY152, he does no wrong. He's not on a platter, baby. He is on a pedestal. Yep. <laughs> yes, he is. He's <laughs> on a platter. We served him up on we that platter. We served him up on a platter and put him on the pedestal. <laughs> He's what's for lunch. <laughs> he is girl dinner. <laughs> he is served up on the platter as girl dinner on a pedestal. He feels like he needs to bring him down a notch to make himself seem more appealing, right? Like, hey, I know I put you out of business, but I'm not that. But bad. I'm here, and this guy stood you up, and you don't know who he is. 
Is he married? Does he have kids? Like, is he? It's almost like he's in a competition with this person and he wants her to see him, Joe, as he is and maybe realize like, hey, you know, maybe he can be a nice guy. She's not going to be open to receiving Joe in a favorable light if she's still fantasizing about this guy online. Um, so I think that's what he's doing there. And also part two of that is also kind of testing how invested she really is. Right. How invested is she in this guy? Sure. You know, if he's got one hundred and fifty two moles removed and he's got one hundred and fifty two pop marks on his face, are you still going to love him? Like, can you still accept him? So it's also trying to see, like, how invested is she in this person? Yes. Suss her out. That's a that's a good point. And I think it does make a lot of sense to view it from the perspective of like, I guess almost a test because he's trying to work up to, could you love this person if he made you shut down Mm -hmm. your business? Could you love this person if he was the one behind the demise of your generational legacy? (laughs) Like spicy. He's slowly... I think working his yes, way there exactly. to the reluctance of exactly. the viewer. <laughs> to the reluctance of the viewer, for sure. <laughs> they keep meeting up, right? This is all happening through multiple interactions. Finally, they're sitting at a park bench. She reveals to him, actually, you find out that she has started to write a children's book. Kudos to you. And she mentions that she was kind of convinced to do that by her pen pal and that she would have never done that if it wasn't for him saying that she should and so you kind of understand here that he's kind of pushing her to be brave what I mean is (laughs) what I mean is there are people who just take risks because they're risk takers there are people who have to be pushed a little bit by life or by their loved ones to take risks and to do things that are outside of their comfort zone. So that's what I mean by helping her be brave. I don't think that she's not a brave person. I just think that she needs to be pushed a little bit to get there, right? You know, Fox books needed to come into town for her to be able to imagine a different life for herself. This male character in her life is um, giving her ideas or pushing her to try new things. That's what I mean. You know, so they have this conversation at the park. He invites her to meet for lunch the following Saturday. Hey, let's meet for lunch around noon. The next scene is him emailing her as NY152 and asking her, hey, you wanted to meet up. Why don't we do it this Saturday at four o'clock? So he's planning out the day. He knows, okay, I'm going to see her as Joe Fox for lunchtime. And then she's going to see it's me at four o'clock in that afternoon. Risky, risky business. So next scene, they're at Grace Papayas. Um, yes, definitely gives me a nice little heart warmth moment there because I do think of my dad at this time because he would take us to Grace Papayas. We'd have hot dogs. Yeah, he would. The only fucking decent hot dogs. I don't know, man. I I, I don't shit on on dirty water dogs. I'm not a mad. Like, I, <laughs> I do not discriminate. It's been such a long time since I've had one. It would be an experience I'd have to have. And I don't know if my if my stomach can withstand it. You know, I think when I was 12, sure, 
I could eat glass and be fine. Now, you know, I don't know about that. I, Too old. I was raised by a frugal Latin American woman, and she did not throw away food. <laughs> um, and we would eat food that was in the fridge for days. Yeah, I remember when she had to go to the hospital for food poisoning because of she that. She has built an indestructible stomach at this point. <laughs> Yeah, oat milk. <laughs> Listen, yeah. all right, lactose is different. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Anywho, so they have their lunch at Grace Papayas. As they're walking back to Kathleen's apartment, they're walking side by side, and he stops and faces her to ask her this question. What if I hadn't been Fox Books? What if we had just casually met? What if I was just some guy? What if I was NY152? And he expresses to her, I I wouldn't have been able to wait to take you out. He continues to say, like, to so much as imply, like, I would have loved to spend my life with you. I actually love how he delivers this line. It's very cute. It is. It's very Tom Hanks. And then after he poses that question, she doesn't really answer. She kind of just looks at him speechless. And then he follows that up with, you forgave, you know, you've forgiven this guy for standing you up. Would you ever be able to forgive me, essentially? Imagine if in any universe those things were the same. Right? Just fucking Being imagine up, it. putting somebody out of business. He stood you up. I put you out of business. He stood you no, up. No, he though. still. If you don't jump into traffic. Still very much downplaying the out of business part. Yes. Still quite. has not formally apologized. I think maybe to him, this is some form of apology. Like, oh, would you forgive me for, right? That, that Could you forgive me for me doing this thing that I did? Or as you keep insisting, you filthy capitalist, that his company did not. First him. of all. I'm joking. I'm fucking with you. I at no point made any such statement. All I said was. <laughs> all I did was pose the question. How much control did he really have over that? And it could have been a lot. It could be he could have had all the control. I know. I'm just saying it's worth asking. Again, she's speechless. She's just kind of like, I got to go. But you can tell she's she's thought about it. She's thinking about it. It's in her head. Now, now she's got to go meet NY152 and she's got to be thinking about Joe. And I think that was his intent. Like you, I want you to go into this meeting thinking about me. It's so fucking it manipulative. Is. He, and it is a form of manipulation. It's funny because my husband laughs at me every time I watch this movie. He's like, you're just supporting like some guy manipulating a woman. I'm like, um. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom Hanks. But he loves her. Um, Yeah, no. He has all the information. He knows what he's doing. He knows her mindset, right? Because he knows an intimate part of her that she doesn't know that he knows. And he's kind of using that to his advantage, right? He's using that to help his, uh, his end game. So his end goal. So yes, you definitely have to admit that there's a bit of manipulation here and it's working as a modern woman watching this movie, you're annoyed and you Tom want them to Hanks. be happy at the same time. Tom fucking Hanks. And I just want to cut in for a moment because you know, we've talked about Paola as an interior designer, not just fashion designer. And you might be thinking to yourself, listener, it's us. It's us and our husbands listening to this. You might be thinking to yourself, Nadja, but you've barely talked about costumes in this movie at all. And you're right. 
and it is because they're fucking terrible not because the costumes are terrible the costumes are incredibly nondescript you're not supposed to look at their clothes at any point in the movie and they do a very good job of achieving that second the fashions of the late 90s horrendous horrific what what the fuck were we doing back then why did women look like that why were the shoes doing that no all of it's bad. So I'm not going to endorse this shit. I'm not going to co-sign Says it. Says the person the who wears loafers everywhere she <laughs> I fucking love loafers. Don't you fucking I'm me. not the one coming for you. I love loafers. What I, what I don't love are clogs. And she's wearing clogs for like 70% Let of this Let me tell movie. you, in my big age, I have come to <laughs> fully appreciate roomy pants and comfortable loafers not, not the style in this and movie. a cardigan yo give yeah, me like give me a nice a cardigan that i could just frumpily put over my clothes <laughs> like, <laughs> you know <laughs> i think that's a great way to describe it. it's like it's like frumpy you're not supposed to see her as a person who particularly cares no 100 percent. yes she wears dark colors she's not really she's not looking to look flashy she doesn't care if it flatters her shape she's yeah, she's just throwing something on and going out the door. She wears men's pajamas to bed. Like, you know. And I love it. That's that. I want to live. I want to just be in men's pajamas. Relatable queen. Yeah. So you you're not supposed to have the impression that she cares one way or another about her clothing. And trust me, you certainly leave with that impression. Joe Fox, he's just some guy. So like whenever he's around his father and his grandfather, they're wearing these like lavish very 80s like cuff linked white pressed like button down shirts um and suspenders and like you know fucking old timey pants and that's a fashion word by the way old timey pants and so they're wearing you know they're wearing clothing that i think is like more emblematic of their status as like older businessmen whereas joe fox is wearing like a black sweater and dark slacks like dark jeans a pair of of loafers or boots like he's not that pressed about what he's wearing either he's like you know maybe this new generation where he's much more casual maybe it's like giving kind of a startup feel to it but neither of them are supposed to be particularly invested in how they present okay so kathleen obviously leaves that interaction a bit um, torn, I think. I think you see it in her face. She's a bit torn and uh, definitely leaves with the thought of Joe Fox swirling in her head. Next, we see her leaving her apartment. She's changed. She's got a dress on. Um, It's like a light colored dress and uh, she's got flats and she's walking up to the park. And then we see her waiting at the park. She's anxiously waiting to meet NY152. Then she hears a male voice yell out, Brinkley! And she recognizes the name as NY152's dog, which he does share his dog's name during their correspondence. Turns around, and it's Joe Fox. And she kind of, like, stops and starts to laugh. She thinks, like, oh, this fucking guy, he showed up. Like, he showed up to fuck with me. And then he stands there and kind of looks at her like, you know, shrugs his shoulders almost in like this. Sorry. It's almost like a sorry. Sorry. Yeah. It's me. Or like, sorry, I did this. <laughs> like, sorry, I've been lying to you for all these months. It clicks 
And, you know, it's very sweet. He comes up to her, you know, don't cry, shop girl, with a hanky. In the beginning of the movie, she talks about the importance of a hanky. And this line, I mean, it's sweet, you know, but but she expresses, you know, I wanted it to be you. And it's a... What, <laughs> No, bitch? you didn't. You didn't want it to be him. You didn't want to deal with this mess. This is a mess. You didn't know what the fuck. You, what? what? Even watching it now, I always find it like a weird thing to say after everything that they went through um, and that she went through with this man. But I think it's to show you that maybe she did fall in love with Joe Fox. And maybe that was a conflict she was going through internally where, you know, she fell in love with this person during their last couple of weeks of interacting and also, I mean, there was an instant spark when they met at the bookstore, right? Definitely left an impression. I think, like, when she saw him again at that dinner party, she was excited to talk to him again. Um, obviously, was shut down by the revelation that he was Joe Fox. And then I think that that work he did, the little, you know, what he called the project in the last couple of scenes in the movie, which I think spans between two or two weeks, if any, if that... You know, I think that that time brought her back to maybe that first impression she had of Joe. The thing he set out to do, which was so doubt into NY152, whoever that may be, and have her fall in love with him as Joe Fox, who he is. I think it worked. And I think that at that moment, that's where you, you know, I wanted it to be you is expressing like she did end up falling in love with Joe Fox as Joe Fox. And him being NY152 is the icing on the cake. <laughs> they have a kiss. Yeah, and there's a very cute dog. Brinkley is an adorable golden retriever. Oh, so cute. Um, you know, jumping on them. It it closes on um somewhere over the rainbow, which is always a sweet, inspiring song anytime it plays. So so you feel hopeful for them. At the end of the movie. All right. So now give me your thoughts, Naja. Go off. Don't come for me, people that don't listen to this podcast. I'm not a hater. Like, I love this movie unapologetically. There are just several things with which I take issue. And those things are the manipulation, the lying. Like, I don't really like that. That would really put me off. If I was talking to somebody, it would be much harder to do that in this day and age. I met my husband online, but I knew what he looked like because there were pictures there. Like, Joe catfished her. Like, <laughs> in, in reverse? reverse? Like, <laughs> like, where he was the person in real life and then pretended to be somebody else online, but he didn't pretend. Like, it was like that was his actual self. I don't know. Like, I can't properly describe it. There's an element of, of the catfish in there. And I think that he could have been the one to just go into the fucking cafe and be like okay it's me I'm sorry maybe not necessarily doing that damage control at the top like he did later on in the movie but it would have been so much more honest for him to just be like oh shit are you the person I've been talking to this whole time you and I go back and forth on whether he meant to do that or not like whether he went into the cafe and her reaction changed his mind as to whether he was gonna like come clean about who he was but he should have just done it anyway he should have been like hey I understand why you're upset but like I'm NY152 I wanted to send you a bouquet of newly sharpened pencils or whatever and for her to have to sit with that and figure out how it makes yeah. her feel. I understand in terms of the pacing of the movie, 
needing to have that happen after she closes her business because after she closes her business is eliminating the conflict. It eliminates the conflict in three dimensions. It doesn't eliminate the conflict up here in the mind. This is an audio medium, but yeah, no, I definitely think that that when he goes into the cafe, I feel like he says something about the book Pride of Prejudice. And she's like, what do you know about Pride and Prejudice? And he's like, well, I have read Pride and Prejudice. And she's like, well, good for you. And he enters with, you would know a lot of things if you really knew me. I think that was kind of his opener. Every time I see this, soft I feel like that's him trying to soft launch that he's who she's been writing to. I think you would find out a lot of things if you really knew me. And then that's when she cuts in and like just starts to stab him and turn the knife when he's like, if I really knew you, I know what I would see instead of a brain, a cash register, instead of a heart to bottom line. And he's just like, and they start bickering. Maybe has she been more receptive? Could he have been like, eventually if they would have had a nice coffee, like if maybe by chance he sat down and they had a conversation through coffee could he have been like, hey, hey, so yeah, I'm the guy. But I, that's impossible. It was too heated. They were right in the midst of this rivalry. It wasn't going to happen then. Yeah. This battle. It wasn't going to happen then. I hear that. I understand why the filmmakers would have decided to do it in that order. I just cannot easily forgive the elimination of one's livelihood. Yeah, no, it's oh. oh, it's a pain. No, it's a pain <laughs> in the ass because... You want to be mad, but at the same yes. time, you're like, you're rooting for Joe. And it's, and you know what? That's the testament of a good movie. It, it makes you, it makes you question your preconceived notions. So that's You Got Mail. It's one of my comfort movies. I put this on in the background. Um, a big part of that, I think, is the soundtrack and also the dialogue. They're witty. I like how they go back and forth. I like the little insults. I find it entertaining. And I almost know it word for word by now. But yes, I think another reason why I like watching it is because there's a lot of underlying topics that I like to break down. And every time I watch it, I pick up on a new thing, you know, on a new theme where I'm like, oh, this is interesting to break down. And then, you know, I call Naja and I talk about it. <laughs> And here we are doing it for all of you. And by all of you, I mean all three <laughs> of you. Um, <laughs> at some point, I will stop making those jokes. But for now, I'm going to take advantage. Yeah, that's You Got Mail. From what you hear, you've only heard a third of our thoughts. <laughs> that concludes part two of our two-part series on You've Got Mail, directed by Nora Ephron. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you've heard both episodes. If not, you can always go back into your feed and listen to part one. And thank you so much for listening. Bye. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please leave a review anywhere you get your podcasts. Come and find us on Instagram at sis.flix.podcast. Shoot us an email at sisflixpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think. If you have suggestions or movie requests for us to cover in the future. This podcast is very loosely written and mostly edited by your hosts, Naja and Paola. And thank you to Neon Beach for their song Alive and Everything used as our intro.